Well, let's wrap up the week on a little more conversation with a series that we've been running, looking into some of the issues that are impacting our inner, our inner cities. We looked at homelessness on Monday. We talked about food insecurity on Tuesday, as well as uh, other issues through the week. And, you know, they're all interconnected, of course. Uh, they're all interconnected. We know that. We know that. But what role could poor policing have? Uh, we often look to police as both the problem and the cure or the problem and the solution to some of these issues. Um, you know, one of the things we did look at was why charities are so called on to fill in a lot of these needs, these these gaps in our social safety net, and what more could be done. So clearly this has to be a comprehensive approach to solving a lot of these issues. But the truth is that I read this all the time. I hear this in Victoria. I see this in Vancouver, that people just don't feel as safer, or secure, wandering around downtown, and that includes business owners as well, in the downtown core of many major Canadian urban centres, as they once did. On Wednesday, we spoke with a business owner in downtown Vancouver whose store has been broken into several times. His store windows smashed several times. Uh, Sebastian Cortez explained what the impact of that has been on his business and others around him. We've had our windows broken uh, four or five times now, and I have, um, you know, I have gotten into arguments uh, in a couple of situations where, you know, in the middle of the day, some guy walks by and just starts trying to smash the windows, kicking and throwing things around. It's just people are not feeling safe. I mean, there's so many random attacks happening pretty much every week. And there's a lot of stuff that people don't report, right? So, um, you know, there's a lot more that happens that we are kind of like not, don't really have any clue of, of, of what's going on. Sebastian Cortez is a business owner, a small business owner in downtown Vancouver. Um, now, one of the issues here is that the statistics don't always bear this out, right? And that often happens. The stats don't always show that that violent crime is on the rise everywhere at once. And in fact, it probably isn't in many places. But often it comes down to community perception. How do people perceive the downtown core? How do people perceive the attractiveness of wanting to walk around the downtown core? And when? Um, I think, you know, the pandemic, a lot of people early in the early days when a lot of people stayed home, uh, the downtown cores emptied out because there were office workers went back. Uh, a lot of the businesses that attract people to the downtown cores shut. A lot of the things like movie theaters and concerts stopped. Um, so in that sense, we saw a real change. And I don't think it was that there were more people with, um, you know, suffering from mental health issues or uh, addiction issues that were suddenly on the streets of downtown Vancouver, or downtown Victoria. It's that suddenly the curtain was pulled away and there were, you know, the predominant number of people that were still downtown uh, happened to be oftentimes people suffering from uh, different mental health or addiction issues of, you know, homelessness issues and so on. Uh, so it allowed us to see an issue that was always there, but hidden by the sheer number of people in the areas at all time. Not always. There were areas where it was more prevalent than others. Uh, but certainly within downtown cores, I think that's what may have changed, at least my perspective on downtown Victoria, for instance. Um, but where does policing come in here? Because I was just in Seattle uh, a few weekends ago and noticed, and Seattle's had some serious issues downtown um, with, with security and violence and random violence and so on. There, were a lot, there was a huge police presence in downtown Seattle now. Almost on every, not on every, I didn't feel like you were in a police state, but there was a very significant and visible police presence in downtown Seattle these days. And I gather that's because for a long time, people were simply saying, we're not coming downtown anymore. Business owners were saying, people aren't coming downtown anymore. 
unless you put these, unless you become more visible to allow people to feel more secure. Now, it's not always, it's certainly not the solution. Uh, any solution that involves the complex social issues of homelessness and mental health and addiction need a blanket approach, better supports, more housing, better supportive housing to help people uh, beat addiction, to help people find security, to help people find uh, a better way to live, quite honestly. But at the same time, there needs to be a recognition that within downtown cores in certain Canadian cities right now, I read a lot about it, I see it, that there is a sense that somehow control has been lost to some extent. Um, not always and not everywhere and not every night, but a sense that somehow control has been lost. It, it occurs to me sometimes when you watch people, I've seen people walk into stores and brazenly take a bunch of stuff and walk out the door. I've seen people be attacked on the streets, not attacked in the way that we've read about in certain really vicious attacks, but people literally attacked on the street for no reason by people in the middle of a crisis. So what role can police play in all this? Do we need more presence? Do we need more funding to allow for more presence? How, what kind of role does police do police play in this multi-layered approach to the kinds of solutions that will make our inner cities be better places, feel like better places, and also help those who desperately need the help? Uh, joining me now is Tom Stamatakis. He's a VPD constable, but he's also president of the Canadian Police Association, so carries a national perspective on this issue, and he joins me now. Thanks for your time. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on the program. So we, we have noticed a change in, uh, in, in a bit of the environment in many downtown areas, whether it be cities or towns. Uh, on the front lines, what does that look like for, for police? What is it? What have you been noticing? Well, it's creating significant challenges right across the country, both in our uh, larger cities, but also in our smaller towns right across the country and in provinces. Whereas traditionally, we might have seen these issues mostly in the larger cities. It seems now the smaller towns are having the same experiences. And of course, you know, the issues in the northern, more rural parts of our country are have been well documented and they continue. Uh, so when I meet with the members that I represent and we discuss these issues, they're telling me that they're experiencing significant challenges in their communities. And they're all related ultimately to people that are struggling with finding housing, struggling with substance use issues, or uh, their underlying, you know, mental health challenges that aren't being properly or effectively supported in those communities. It strikes me, though, that these are issues that those are issues that have existed for a long time. What do you think is has made it seem more acute or, or what's what's the sense amongst your membership about what has changed? Uh, well, you know, there are complicated issues. And I think my answer is going to be based on, you know, some of the feedback I get from members and my own, you know, experiences and what I've observed. So largely anecdotal, but I, I certainly think COVID has had an impact uh, with some of the the impacts of COVID and some of the, the, the government uh, decisions with respect to, you know, whether it was asking people to stay home or restricting certain activities for a period of time, that made some of these challenges more obvious, more in your face, I suppose, because we weren't seeing people commuting into, you know, the downtown parts of cities uh, to work or, or for recreation or entertainment. I think the uh, some of the disruption economically around COVID probably played a role um, in terms of people moving around and being displaced. 
you're right. The challenges with respect to housing, uh, substance use, and mental health have been there for a long time. I think we've we've got some significant, you know, infrastructure deficit when it comes to how we support those issues. And I realize that governments have, you know, made various announcements about supporting people who find themselves vulnerable, people who find themselves in challenging circumstances. But my sense of it, you know, from a particularly from a policing perspective, as someone who's been involved, you know, advocating on behalf of police, frontline police personnel for a long time, I don't feel like it's it's strategic or coordinated, at least enough so that we get to different outcomes. It just seems like we keep responding and whether it's a funding commitment or whether it's a commitment to create some other new response, it doesn't seem like it results in different, better outcomes. And and that's just had this piling on effect combined with decisions with respect to how we respond to people who are committing criminal offenses in communities. For a while, at least from a policing perspective, there certainly was a view to, to avoid incarcerating people, remanding people in custody because of the risk of you know housing people in, in jails or institutions, uh, the risk of exposing them to to COVID and having to deal with those issues, that meant people stayed out in the community more often. So they would commit offenses, be released, recommit those same offenses, be released. And that, that added some better awareness around some of these challenges because particularly in the business community, for example, in Vancouver, where I live, you know, businesses were extremely frustrated because of the, you know, windows being smashed and thefts from their uh, businesses. So all of that combined, I think, just shone more of a light on on some of these challenges and people became more aware and of course have reacted uh i think in some ways because they're quite concerned about some of these challenges yeah how much of an impact has the kind of i mean one thinks back to sort of the crack days in america and what a difference that made on the streets compared to what the 70s have been like uh in the 80s when one looks at, at the street drugs these days the level of toxicity of the street drugs these days in fentanyl and carfentanil how much of an impact do you i know you're not a toxicologist but how much of an impact on your membership has this shift in the kind of street drugs that are being used had on on the atmosphere that they're dealing with do you think well, what's changed in a very significant way is the prevalence. Uh, even when you talk about the 80s and the 90s, some of the challenges with respect to you know drug use patterns, I just don't think it was as pre- prevalent or, or as readily available as it is today. And so it's had a significant impact because it's these kinds of uh, drug use patterns are far more, you know, they're more widespread. And of course, they do have an impact because the toxicity, like you say, has been well documented. Our members are constantly dealing with persons who are overdosing and trying to provide assistance or, or get the right assistance for those people. And that has a wearing effect. Uh, it, it also has a wearing effect when you're constantly responding to the type of disorder that you see and, and violent crime that we're seeing in our communities. It has a wearing effect on on the on the police officers that are responding to those calls over and over and over again. And, and sometimes, you know, part of that is just the, what seems at times to be the futility of it all, because on the one hand we're saying, and, and I don't think there's any disagreement around this, we should be treating a, a police response or a law enforcement response to people suffering from mental health issues is not the appropriate response. Neither is it for people who are struggling with substance use issues, but, we're not building the infrastructure to to move people who are struggling with mental health issues to to the right kind of support so that so that they can better manage those mental health issues or 
we're not moving people with substance use issues into the right kind of environments with the appropriate supports. So those substance use issues are managed in a way that's uh, better for the individuals who are struggling with those issues, but also better for the community more broadly who are dealing with some of the follow-on implications of people in mental health crises in the community without support committing different types of crimes or becoming involved in different kinds of crimes because of their, you know, they're falling into this crisis or people with substance use issues that are also committing crimes in the community to help support their substance use issues or to try and survive in the circumstances that they're in. So there's this confounding effect, right, that, uh, that has a huge impact and it's, it's very wearing. Tom Stamatakis is with us uh, this half hour. He is a VPD constable, president of the Canadian Police Association. We're talking about uh, the challenges that many of our inner cities, whether it be cities or towns, are facing these days, a combination of uh, homelessness or, or housing insecurity, mental health issues, addiction, and so on, but also just a level of toxicity in the drugs and so forth, and many different things coming together, the lack of infrastructure um, available to try to keep people, uh, to try to at least protect people better, to bring them off the streets and give them um more support and so forth. Uh, Tom, Tom, I know that, that policing is part of this issue, but it can't be the solution, right? One of the things that comes up a lot, though, is presence. I was just in Seattle, and they've had a horrible problem downtown in Seattle. And there was a really significant police presence in downtown Seattle. And I noticed that I hadn't seen that, say, in Victoria or in Vancouver. Why is that? Well, I, I think part of the issue is that police services here in Canada are, for the most part, under-resourced. Uh, we haven't kept pace with some of the growth, whether it's migration that happens in the country naturally or whether it's uh, increases to population based on immigration or whatever the factors are that drive it. Plus, on top of that, you know, the work becomes more and more complex. There are higher expectations. There are cases that come out of the Supreme Court, for example, that change how police apply the law. And so all of that adds to the complexity of how you, you perform your duties. And if you don't build the capacity to manage that, then it has an impact on presence because the police officers who are deployed in on the streets and communities don't have the capacity to be everywhere all the time uh, and, and also comply with the overwhelming number of administrative obligations. So police resources is a key issue. And it's not about, you know, it's about the right number of resources, not, you know, some endless amount of resources. It's the right number of resources. I think we need to see you know, the institutions that are responsible for delivering these services, and, and you're absolutely right, I agree with you, it's not just the police, it has to be all of the other you know, social services, health authorities, there needs to, instead of, I see a lot of people pointing the finger, and often the police become the scapegoat, I think, because we're out there on the street and readily visible, but there, there needs to be less of that and more coordination, a, a more strategic response, and then ultimately all levels of government, all you know, municipal, provincial, and federal have to commit to properly support a more strategic and coordinated response, but also fund it appropriately. And I, I actually don't think it's a question of more money. It's about how do we use the existing dollars that are already being committed to providing these services in a more efficient and effective way. Yeah, because when one looks at, at at there is a sense, I think, at least you know from what I see, what I hear, that that there is a sense that people feel like this, the control of the streets has been lost a little bit, and that's we've entered a period of sort of anarchy to some extent. I mean, that's that's an exaggeration, but there is a feeling in some areas of some downtowns and some Canadian cities that we've kind of lost control, lost the plot a little bit, and I wonder how you get it back. 
Well, look, uh, presence does make a difference. We know that from the research. I think deterrence is also uh, a factor. If people who are committing some of the types of crimes that you outlined earlier, or you know, the, the mischiefs, the break-ins, the the violent crimes, especially, and there's no consequence, then you you know that means there's no deterrence. Which how are you going to discourage people? from engaging in those kinds of behaviors. And then ultimately you need the support because in some cases, particularly for people who are in a mental health crisis, you know, they need support. They need, they need those challenges to be managed. And we need to rethink some of the approaches that we've taken in the past. In my view, I, I said earlier, and I wholeheartedly support this notion that, you know, a health response is the right response and a law enforcement response should be almost like the response of last resort. But at the same time, We've gone out of our way to focus on just harm reduction, it seems, at times. And and I think if we talk about harm reduction, we not only need to talk about harm reduction for vulnerable and marginalized people, but we need to talk about, you know, the broader harms that, that sometimes uh, affect the, the entire community and what the implications of that are as well. I mean, it's interesting because... At times, we're often talking about very harmful substances, and and you start hearing talk, people talk about you know stigmatization and judgment and those kinds of things. Yet, when we talk about tobacco or or alcohol, which are also very harmful substances and cause lots of damage, uh, both in terms of from a health perspective, but also in other ways in our society, you know, we we still stigmatize the crap out of people who are addicted to alcohol or want to drive impaired or that are addicted to tobacco. We create all kinds of rules around where you can or can't use those substances. Yet, in in some cases, people in communities feel like it doesn't matter. When, it, when we start talking about heart, you know, more harmful drugs, arguably, or equally harmful drugs, if you're on that side of the debate, uh, but nevertheless, harmful drugs, it seems like there, there don't seem to be a lot of rules around how how those are consumed and we need to do a better job but but you know underlying all of that is we need to we need to have the right kind of housing solutions we need to have the right kind of uh, supports for people who are struggling with some of these challenges and and i think that'll that'll go a long way to getting us to better outcomes it certainly is a complex issue and the, the fact that you have the head of the Canadian, president of the Canadian police association talking about housing is, is, is always a reminder of that right thomas damatakis thank you so much you're very welcome anytime